guarding your affections. Now, if you're a parent, you know that this is what we teach our children all the time. Don't defraud someone else and don't let someone else defraud you. Be very careful of your affections and be very choosy as to where you display your affections and how you display your affections. I'm trying to remember the three letters that we use about public display of emotions, PDE. Uh, we always tell our young people, be careful of PDE. PDA, yeah, public display of, of your affections. And we try to warn, of course, I've even been warned to be careful of my affections and so forth. And, uh, you, you know, you never outgrow it, but uh, it's an area of danger. And we have to be very, very careful. But I want us to uh, decide this morning, just what do we love? Where can we give our love? Where should we put our love and our affection? Colossians, the third chapter, and I'm going to read... The first 17 verses, because Paul has a lot to say in here about affections. You know, it doesn't make any difference what I say or what you say, but we do know what the Word of God says is important to us. Colossians, the third chapter, says, If, or, and you can put another word in there, since ye then be risen with Christ. He's speaking to those who are believers now, those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. And since that's true, he said, seek those things which are above. And I, I've written in here a long time ago, it doesn't mean just seek, it means continuously or keep on seeking those things which are above. Once we become Christians, we're not of this world. We're of a heavenly kingdom. We should seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now again, I wrote in years ago when I was teaching on this particular verse that set is like the same type of setting that when you set an alarm clock. You choose uh, where to set it. And Paul is saying here that you and I have the ability to set our affections somewhere. That's why in James it says that we can't say that God tempted us, but every man is led astray by his own lust and his own desires. You and I have the ability, God's given us the ability to set our affections where we will. So when we say, I can't love that person, in reality what we're saying, I have chosen not to love that person, or I won't love that person. And that's why I keep telling you that love is not just a feeling. Love is not just a, you know, a tingling. Love is a decision. You and I choose to love someone. That's why when these people tell me, well, my wife or my husband has changed since we got married, consequently, I don't love them anymore. No, that's not the quality of decision that we're talking about. Quality of decision says, I love, I choose to love such and such a person regardless of their conduct, regardless of their attitude. That's agape love. One-way love not based upon what you do or what you say. Now, you know when we're out in the ministry, we go to the jail ministry and different things like that from time to time, go down when I used to go down to Skid Row. I didn't love those people because they loved me. I didn't do, love them because they were nice to me. In fact, many times they'd cuss at me. I've had them throw things at me. But I loved them with the love of Christ. Why? Because I chose to love them because God loved me when I was yet in my sin. And I want you to see the importance here of what it says, if you then, or since you then have been risen with Christ, Seek, choose to seek those things which are above. Now, you and I have the right to seek those things which are down here on earth. But the Word of God says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto us. We have a problem in many church members today. They think, I will seek God with all my heart after I get these other things settled in my life, after I get my finances straightened up, after I get the possessions that I want, after I get the education that I want, then I'll get serious with God. And I want to tell you something, you'll never be the place where you're supposed to be with God because He says you got it all backward. 
If you're then risen with Christ, seek those things which are above first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What? Then God's blessings will begin to flow. And I want to tell you something. He says that when you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship with him. And literally the blessings will run you down. How many people do you know getting run over from the back? But that's what the word of God says. They'll chase you down. The blessings of God will run you down from the back. They'll come up on you. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his right, Lord, I don't care if I have anything other than I really want to have that relationship with you. I really choose to put you first in my life. God says, I can bless that person. God says to Solomon, Solomon, what do you want? And the natural tendency is, I want riches, I want fame. He says, no, 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 just give me wisdom. Just give me wisdom so that I can direct these people, lead these people. God says, because you ask for wisdom, what? I'm going to give you wealth, I'm going to give you all these other things. We've been talking about physical relationships and affections in the past, but I want to talk about some spiritual relationships and love affairs that we have to be very careful of. And the first one is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, but we'll start with verse 1. This know also that in the last days, perilous or harsh, severe, hard times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. And the part I want you to notice is in verse 2, one of the first things, that they will be lovers of their own selves. Lovers of their own selves. Let me give you a good example of that found back in, uh, in Luke, the 18th chapter. And if I had uh, music here and I had the pianist here to do it, tonight I'd sing it for you. It's such a powerful illustration in Luke, the 18th chapter, and beginning with verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. We're talking here about self-importance. When we fall in love with ourselves because we feel very, very important, and I could speak for this, on this for a long time tonight, but just let me share with you to realize that we are less than the dust on a scale. The Word of God says that an ar the armies of men are less in God's sight, as far as strength is concerned, than the dust on a scale. And we're hearing all this teaching today about self-esteem and loving ourselves, and so important that we love ourselves, you know, the only way that we can love ourselves is to see ourselves in Christ Jesus because outside of Christ Jesus, there's absolutely nothing about us that's lovable. I know that goes against an awful lot of teaching today that we're experiencing in, in this nation. We're supposed to feel very important about it. We're not important outside of the kingdom of God. And self-importance is has is, got a death knell to it that's going to destroy us in the, in the end. First of all, we have to recognize that outside of Jesus Christ, we are absolutely nothing. Proverbs 6, verse 17. We're talking about the dangerous love affair, being a lover of ourselves. Proverbs 6, verse 17. Let's go back to 16. As these six things doth the Lord hate, 
yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Now let me say again, there's seven things that are an abomination in God's sight. What does God literally detest and hate? The first thing, right off the bat, is a proud look, or a look of self-importance. I am really important in this world. I'm, I mean, the world evolves or revolves around me. I am the center of all life. I am the center of all things that are important. A good illustration of this self-importance was found with Cain and Abel. Remember, God came and said to Abel, Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, well, how am I supposed to know where he is, where Abel is? He said, am I my brother's keeper? He knew exactly where Abel was because he already killed him, but that wasn't important. The important thing was he wanted to be chief. He wanted to be first. His brother, he was jealous of his brother, so it, his brother wasn't important to him. Anything that got in his way, anything that kept him from being what he wanted to be, had to be eliminated. I want to tell you something, you didn't die with Cain. If you're out in the business world today, you know as well as I do that you have to wear nose guards and, and uh, face masks and everything else because people are going to try to climb right over the top of you and at any cost they're going to get to the top. And if you operate by the same method, God will see to it that you don't make it to the top because he said if you will exalt yourself, he will humble you. He'll put you down. But if you'll humble yourself, he will exalt you. In Romans, the 15th chapter, Paul gives some teaching that's so important for us to understand that is not being expressed very much today in the church. Romans chapter 15, in the first three verses, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. You see, God always gives the best to those that leave the choice up to Him. And that's why He says, as an act of your will, choose those things. Choose to seek those things which are above and not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And now let me ask you this one. Is your life hid with Christ in God? I like the illustration that was given me years ago, and I just thought of it as not in my notes, but a man took his handkerchief and he said, this is you and me in Jesus Christ. The scripture says, first of all, we're in Christ, and then we're in God. Our life is hid in Christ in God. What does that mean? It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us and He keeps us and He sustains us and He strengthens us. We stand in His righteousness. We stand in His strength every day. And He says here that you are dead. How are we dead? We died when Christ died on the cross. We rose again when He rose again from the, from the grave and were justified by His death in our behalf. And now we've ascended with Him and are seated at the right hand of God the Father. So He says, consequently, then if we died with Him, we're dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life, Christ who is our life, if you and I have life at all, the only life we have is Christ. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in Him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. It's not our life flowing through us, it's His life flowing out through us that creates the fruit. Now, I have an orange tree in my yard, and I love the smell of those blossoms right now because I know that means that next year I'm going to have a crop. But if I go out there and cut off a branch and even stick it in water or set it off to the side or stick it in the ground, it's not going to produce fruit. Why? Because the life comes from the tree into the branch. And you and I can do whatever we want to do, but if we're not abiding in Christ and allowing His life to flow through us, we will not produce fruit. We will not have life. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore. What does mortify mean? Put to death. 
That's right. In the Greek, it's the word nekros, from which we get the word nekromosy. It means put to death, therefore your members which are upon the earth, and then he describes what these members are, what these things are, that, that uh, what sins come out from our members, fornication, moral uncleanness, inordinate affection, which means unrestrained passion. Let me tell you something. We have to be very careful what we allow to come into our homes today and where we allow our children, to, what we allow our children to see and hear and think and read. Because every, almost everything that's out there today from society teaches unrestrained passion. In our schools today, they're saying, well, you know, you should not have uh, sexual relations with other people, but in case you do, and then they begin to hand out the condoms to our young people. Uh, I don't know why they don't say you shouldn't kill people, but here's a loaded gun in case you ever do. You shouldn't drink alcohol, but here's a fifth of whiskey in case you ever do. Our thinking is totally reversed. It's away from everything that God would ever have us to teach. And we have to be careful that we mortify our members and teach our young people to crucify these things in our lives. Inordinate affection, evil, concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And we're taught today to worship ourselves, self-esteem, and, and uh, whatever I want and whatever feels good, I'm to do it. We're to put those things to death. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. And I want to say to you, uh, young people, listen to me. Just because we don't see everything going in reverse for the world today, don't think it isn't going to. God's mill grinds very slowly, but it grinds very finely. And God says if they sow these things in the flesh, it will come back on them. The nation that forgets God, God will judge. And we're beginning to see the first fruits of God's judgment on this nation but we haven't seen anything yet as to what's going to come if there is not a revival in this nation. It says here, For these which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. He said, Now you used to do those things. But now since you're a Christian and seeking those things which are above, those things ought not to be in our lives anymore. What? Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, no, those things should not be in our lives anymore now that we're Christians. Verse 8, But now ye also put off these things. Put off these things. That involves our will again. Just like we chose to follow Christ, just like we choose to seek those things which are above, we are to put off these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of our mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image or likeness of him that created him. He said, now once you change clothes, you're supposed to be different. You put off that old man and you put on Jesus Christ. And not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please, what? His neighbor for his good to edification, for his edification, in other words. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. He's saying that the important thing for a Christian is to realize it's not so important what we get, or what we do, or what pleases us, or what we think we can get away with. It's more important to please our neighbor, and to love our neighbor, and to exhort our neighbor, and to encourage our neighbor, and edify our neighbor. You're not going to hear much of that in the teaching that you get in your universities today. You're not going to get it in many of the churches today. But John the Baptist had the right idea when they came and said, do you know that there's another guy over here preaching right now and, and he's starting to get a bigger crowd than you're getting? 
You understand that, John? What did he say? Well, listen, we'll just do more advertising. We'll have a big conference and we'll start having some healing meetings. We'll get the crowd back. No, no, no. What did he say? He must increase, but I must decrease. We have to be careful we don't fall in love with ourselves. You know, the only reason we're here is to accomplish God's purpose, and we can't do it with self-exaltation. You exalt yourself, God says, I'll pull the plug. Lift yourself up. You say, am I supposed to go around groveling on the ground? No. We're supposed to recognize the only value we have in the kingdom of God is when we're totally submitted to the will of God and the direction of the Holy Spirit in our life. There is no other value to our life. If you became tomorrow the richest and the wisest man on earth and did good works all the rest of your life, but did it in your own strength and for your own glory and for people to give you the credit for it, when you died, you'd have absolutely nothing and you'd leave it all behind. But if you humble yourself and serve, become a servant. Jesus said, if you want to be a leader, be a servant. Learn to serve. And if you serve, I'll lift you up and I'll bring you into a place of leadership. I'll bring you into a place of self-importance. But if he doesn't, you have to say God's will is absolutely perfect. I only want to be what God wants me to be. It's God that gives us the ability to get wealth. How many of you know that? People say, we've got to do this scheme and that scheme and the other scheme and this scheme. We'll try to get ahead. We've got this program. No, no, no. Just submit to say, Lord, I'm willing to do anything you want me to do. You open the doors and you close the doors and you make the way available to me. And I'll walk through those doors in obedience to you, but I will not try to exalt myself. I'll not try to promote myself. I've always said, if you put all the steam to the whistle, there's nothing left for the wheels. So don't put all the steam to the whistle. Let the Lord put the steam in your engine for the wheels and the whistle. Let other people blow your whistle for you. James, the second chapter. James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. We can actually take in verse 14 too. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works or corresponding actions? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, and be ye warmed and filled, doesn't that sound religious? Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Uh, you give them not what they want. You're more concerned about what you have and your own needs than you are the needs of those around about you. That's the love affair of, of loving ourselves more than our neighbor. Proverbs 16, 18 gives us the end result of this. Pride goeth before what? Destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goeth before destruction. And I want to tell you something. I have seen people in the past who have been puffed up like a peacock. Strutting with a, like a peacock with his tail feathers up. And I'm telling you, that it isn't, it's no time at all before I see all their tail feathers plucked. And they're crawling around trying to find where there's a hole to hide in. God said when we allow pride into our life to where we become self-important and more important than anything else in life, God said that is the introduction to destruction. God will see to it. He hates a proud look. He hates self-importance, loving ourselves. A haughty spirit before is before a fall. Again, we must realize that our only value, again, is in light of the kingdom of God. I don't care how successful we become and how important we may feel we are. I want us to know that we could die tonight and everything that has anything to do with related to our importance will be gone. Job said, naked I came I into this world and naked go I out of this world. And I want to tell you something. I've seen enough death during my ministry and I've seen people that seemed like they had all kinds of influence and all kinds of power. Suddenly everything is over with. And we have to realize the only power we're going to have is the 
influence we send ahead of us and the influence we have on others for Jesus Christ and for eternity that we leave behind. Someone went to a funeral not too long ago and was wondering what kind of an influence that person would have had. I mean, they didn't make much money. They didn't have a big, important job. They weren't influencing corporations or anything else. But they looked around and saw the family, saw children and grandchildren all serving Christ because of this person's influence. Now, that does not mean that you grit your teeth and you grunt and you strain and I'm going to be different. It's more that you yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You yield to the authority of the Holy Spirit in your life and say, Lord, I cannot stop these things and I cannot quit these things, but I give them to you and I ask you to take them away. I ask you to change my life completely. We call that progressive sanctification. You can call it whatever you want to, but what it actually is, is abiding in Christ. Verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. That means uh, enduring even when it seems unbearable. Ever had anybody around you like that? Every time you see you go, oh, oh. You learn how to be forbearing or long-suffering when that type of person comes around. Why? Because we learn not to operate by our feelings, but by the love of God in our lives. I wonder how many times, in the, if God were like us, how many times He'd go, oh, when He thinks about us. We love others because He first loved us. We love Him because He first loved us. We can love others even though they don't deserve it because we have experienced unconditional, unearned, unmerited love ourselves. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. It becomes mandatory for us as believers to be able to manifest the same forgiveness toward others that God has manifested to us. He said, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Verse 14, and above, now we thought he was talking about important things here, but he said, above all these things put on love or charity, which is the bond of perfectness. It's the thing that holds our conduct together. What? Love is. What did Jesus say were the two, and we talked about this in Sunday school, it's one of the two most important commandments, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love thy neighbors thyself. He said, if you do these, you'll complete all the rest of them. How many of you know if you really love your wife or love your husband, it covers a multitude of other things. It, it just takes care of everything else. Parents, if you love your children and your children love you, it takes care of a lot of other problems in your life. It's the bond of perfectness. Having love, love covers a multitude of sins. It allows us to flow. It's the oil that causes the machinery to move, the body to function. Verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, and I wrote in here again, and I, I go back to it all the time, it means act as judge. Let the peace of God act as judge in your heart. What does that mean? Anything you start to do, anything you start to think, anything you start to say, check and see if in doing that or saying that or thinking that, there will still be peace in your heart. If not, then don't say it. We know the Word of God gives parameters to what we're to think and what we're to say. Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, with virtue and praise, think on these things. Think on these things. Now, if you think of things outside of that, we're outside the parameters of God's perfect will for our lives, and we get into trouble. 
It's like I tell people that your guardian angel retires at 65 on the road because you have promised when you got your driver's license you'd obey the state law. Now, once you do that, once you go over that, you're lying and you're over in somebody else's territory and he takes over. Okay? The Word of God says here, let the peace of God act as judge or rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful. Now, it's not enough for you to have peace, but it's also necessary for everyone to flow that way so the body of Christ can have peace. Have you ever been in church where there's strife and stress and pressure all the time? It's because the believers have not allowed the peace of God to rule in their heart. I don't know why, why Paul always does this to us, but after he tells us all these things we should do, then he says at the end, and be you thankful. You mean I've got to grit my teeth and do all these things and, and be thankful too? We can be thankful because it's not by works of righteousness which we have done according to His mercy He saves us. And it's not I. Paul says it's no longer I, but Christ that lives in me. I can't do it, but I can have the peace of God because it's Christ in me. I'm hid in Christ, in God, and it's the life of Christ that's flowing out through me. And I can be thankful that He has sufficient for me, sufficient strength and power for me every day to live the Christ life. They saw young people that had gone to the mission field that came to the funeral, came back to the funeral because this person had been a Sunday school teacher and challenged them to go to the mission field. And they said, you know, they may not have as much as far as this world is concerned, but they have stored up and stacked up a reward that nothing on earth can earn for them outside of encouraging others to come and to commit themselves to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to have a whole bunch of stuff as far as earthly things are concerned, but I hope that there'll be a lot of young people standing around that thrown in that day that will say, Pastor Webb, you influenced me for eternity. And consequently, I've influenced others for eternity. That's the only thing that's going to count. And nothing of self-importance is going to be of any value whatsoever. I am so unimportant in the kingdom of God that I can't describe it to you. And the only way I can be important is to be what God wants me to be. To be obedient to Jesus Christ. God help us that we don't come into a place of loving ourselves. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. These are the two greatest commandments. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. If you'd love just to obey those two commandments, everything else will fall into place. You see, you're already in third place. And that's what it's all about. Jesus, others, and you brings joy. The second one. Found in 1 Timothy 6.10. Talking about the love of money. Somebody said love money is not everything, but it's way ahead of whatever is in second place. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they erred from the faith or were seduced from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money can turn a man's head. Over and over again, the Word of God warns concerning what happens when we set our hearts and affections on money on material things. They crumble and do not satisfy lives. Somebody said the other day, you know, I can only put on one pair of pants at a time, I can only drive one car at a time, I can only live in one house at a time. So what value is there to all those extra things that we have? And it does not say that money is the root of all evil, and many people say that. That is not what it says at all. It does not say that wealth is the, the root of all evil. It says the love of, having a love affair with it is what is wrong. God has allowed us to have material things so that we can minister to others. You know, some people that criticize people that have money are the first ones to yell at them and cry out to them to help support their ministry. God is not against riches. 
And I, I've never forgotten what somebody said. If God was against riches, he'd have to move because heaven has streets of gold and all the, all the different uh, precious gems in the walls and all the gates are made of pearl. One huge pearl. Ladies, you think about a setting from one of those gates. One pearl makes up the whole gate. That's heaven. God's not down here trying to make, uh, be stingy with us. He said he's able to make all grace abound toward us, that we having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. He wants to bless his people, but he can't if he can't trust them with it. And you say, well, God can sure trust me with it. Can he? Are you budgeting right now? Are you paying your bills regularly right now? Are you seeing to it that your finances are in proper order? Are you taking care of the blessings that God's already given to you? Are you letting them fall all apart and, be, and, and just disintegrate? You can't, God said if you're not faithful over little, he won't make you faithful over much, but you can't set your heart on those things. Look at Matthew, the 19th chapter. I'm trying to put an awful lot into here as quickly as I can, but please stick with me. Matthew 19. Showing the foolishness of having a love affair with money. Matthew 19, beginning with verse 16. Behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, if Jesus, if Jesus would have known one thing a person could do to get to heaven, he could have just said it very easily here. And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He says unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. It's interesting that he didn't put the Sabbath in there, did he? He had a chance to, he didn't put the Sabbath, Sabbath rule in there. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus saith unto him, If thou be, wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now let me just interject here that God does not, the Lord Jesus does not say that to every one of us. His life living, flowing out through me. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now may I just take a moment on that verse. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And I thank God, as we were saying just a few moments ago, as Lou was saying, that our Sunday school teachers have encouraged our young people to memorize the Word of God. Why? David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. The Word of God says the Word is like a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It says the entrance of His Word gives light. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Anything of any area of ignorance in your spiritual life is going to be the area where the enemy is going to get victory over you. Let me say one statement further than that. Any area of ignorance or disobedience is where the enemy is going to get victory over you. In many cases, it's not what we don't know. It's what we don't do that we do know that gets us into trouble. I appreciate one of the officers of this church time and time again says, you know, I, I really don't need to know a whole bunch of new stuff. What I really need to do right now is just begin to do the things I already know then I wouldn't be in the, near the trouble I'm in. How many of you know if we did everything we knew to do, our lives would be a lot better than they are right now? And that's what Paul the Apostle says we must do. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And all wisdom means to be able to apply it to our daily life. May I be very kind in saying, I'm not saying this harshly, but I have seen a lot of intellectual idiots. They know a whole bunch, but they've never learned how to apply it. And that's the difference between intellect 
and wisdom or just plain horse sense. Common sense. And most of God's Word is just plain common sense. And when I hear some person say, well, I know God said this, but you know, if you'll take this theory over here and this philosophy over here, I think that's a bunch of garbage. Jesus came and spoke the simplest illustrations you can get so the simplest, most uneducated person could grasp it and walk it out. Don't give me all these hyperboles and all these comparisons of what you think it might mean. It means what it says. If it says God hates divorce, God hates divorce. If God says, put these things out of your life, he means put these things out of your life. Well, under normal circumstances, no, put them out of your life. Well, that's not fun. <laughs> and the important thing here in verse 16, he shows us is not enough to ourselves walk in the light and ourselves put off the old man and ourselves put on the new man. But it goes on here to say, teaching and admonishing one another. Remember he said that the two greatest commandments are what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now I want to tell you something. I could preach for the next hour on that one subject because that's one of the greatest lacks in the church today. Everybody says, oh yes, I love God and I'm really serving God and I'm busy and I'm just, I'm clear up to hear it. I'm just, oh, I'm so bad. I haven't got time for all that fellowship. Stuff. I haven't got time for all that relationship. Stuff. I haven't got time for these times when the church gets you. I want, I want to tell you something. You missed it. Yes, but my work is so important. This over here, I'm my family. I understand that, but the Word of God says we are to encourage and exhort and rebuke and strengthen. And we don't come together for what we get, dear heart. We come together for what we can give to each other. We need to support and encourage one another. What do you do when you go home? You want your wife to encourage you. What do you do? You want your husband to encourage you. What do you do? I want my parents to encourage me. See, our whole life is centered upon me, 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 and the Word of God says we are not here to serve ourselves, but Christ came to serve others. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he says, as the Father has called me, so have I called you. Christ has called us to minister to us, but I have need. He said, you minister to others and I'll take care of your need. Give and it shall be given unto you. How many people do you know say, here, give me some wood and I'll give you some heat like the firebox says. No, they say, no, give me some heat and then I'll give you some wood. Doesn't work. The truth of the matter is, God is working in our lives that we might work and minister in other people's lives. Very important for us to see this when we talk about guarding our affections. Verse 17, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Then turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's very important for you to see these basic principles upon which we must operate in guarding our affections. 1 Corinthians 13. And as you know, my son years ago preached a message on this, and I've uh, sent out many copies of his tapes on what love really is. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. We learned a long time ago what love is. What is the definition of love? He didn't say it to this man because he wants everybody to be poor. He said it to this man because he knew where this man's heart was, where his treasure was. He knew this man was still worshiping money. He knew that money was the most important thing to this man, so he put his finger on the sore spot in this man's life. I say that because 
Some people feel that they have any finances or any material things whatsoever. They are not following Jesus Christ's order to give everything to the poor. Remember, God's Word says the poor you have with you always. You can give away everything you have and the world will still be full of poor people and you'd be one of them and you couldn't do anything for the kingdom of God from then on. So I want to just clear that up. He's not saying that none of us can have anything. He's saying to this man, the one problem that you have missed is you're covetous. You're worshiping money. You're an idolater. Money is your God. Some people sit on their God. Do you know that? It's in their back pocket all the time. And you think there isn't a nerve from the billfold of their heart? Just try to get something out of it sometime. They worship money. I know of a man that used to open his billfold and would always have thousands of dollars in cash in his billfold. And if he didn't have thousands of dollars in cash in his billfold, he felt very insecure. Tonight he's in prison. Because he tried to print his own when he couldn't make it. He worshipped money. Money. He had to have money. Right money or bad money or whatever. He had to have money. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. May I tell you something? He didn't have anything. Let me say that again. He didn't have anything. At that moment, they happened to be in his hands, but he didn't have them. If you want to argue with me, you should have come back to talk to him 50 years from then and see if he still had them. Please don't say, this is my house, this is my property, this is my money, this is my bank account. No, I'm a steward of Jesus Christ, and these are the assets that he's placed in my disposal for this moment, and I'll be answerable and responsible to him for what I do with these assets that he's put in my hand. They're not mine. If you don't agree with me, wait 40 years from now, and if I don't live to be over 99 years of age, uh, you'll see that it really wasn't mine. It was just placed in my hands as a steward, and I have to answer to God how I use those things he places in my hands. He didn't have great possessions. And you and I don't either. That's why we can't turn to worshiping money. Matthew, the sixth chapter. Jesus gives a cure here for the love of money. One cure. Matthew six nineteen. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, it's not subject to inflation and deflation and, and all the other problems we have with the economy around here. So he says, don't build up your treasure here on earth and count on that. Whatever God puts in your hand, use it to build up treasure in heaven. Then verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Remember I used to tell you about lily baptists? They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take, what? No thought saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
Not your own righteousness, but his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Jesus said, don't worship money. Don't get set into that trap where you've got to have more and more and more and more. He says, trust God every day that you want to walk in his righteousness, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He'll add to you the things that you need. How many of you know that God can give you the most bountiful table in the state of Florida if you're trusting him for it? How many of you know that God can put you in places and let you go places and do things that other people could never do and bless you while you're doing it if you're in the center of his will? How many of you know it's better to be in the center of God's will than any place else on earth? Under the spout where the glory comes out is where you always can receive the blessing and know that you'll not have need or want. If God took care of the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness when they had nothing, he didn't even let things wear out on them. He provided all their food for them. He protected them. He kept the armies from attacking them for 40 years. Obeying Christ's commands. Now, if you put that phrase in each one of those areas, you'll see that what he's saying, it doesn't make any difference how many times you speak in tongues, even if it's men and tongues of men and angels. If you don't keep Christ's command, you just become a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. How many of us have seen sounding brass and tinkling cymbals in churches? Oh, glory to God, hallelujah, 22-pound Bible under their arm and about 14 bumper stickers on their car and glory, and they're running all over the place. But they don't keep Christ's command. And I want to tell you something, it, 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 it makes null and void everything they say or do. What was the old cowboy said? I'd rather see a sermon anytime than hear one. And what we do speaks so loudly we can't hear what we're saying. People can't hear what we're saying. It profited me nothing. Verse 4, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Now he says, right now, these things that we have to experience, uh, knowledge and prophecy and tongues, uh, they're like childish things. How many of you know that children uh, speak, uh, you can't understand what they're saying. It's just yub, 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 when they're, they're little tiny babies. And he said, when I become a man, I put away those things. He said, you know one, one of these days, when we step out of this life and we mature in the presence of the Lord and we see face to face, we won't have to have these other things. Because right now, even though we're prophesying and even though we're speaking in tongues, we do all these things in part. We're just, it's just a partial knowledge we have. But when we come to be with the Lord, we won't need those things anymore. We'll know even as we're known. And we'll have peace. So what is it? And now by the faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these, the greatest of these is love. It's love that motivates us to do what God would have us to do. It's love that draws others to Jesus Christ. He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have a great knowledge of the word of God. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, in that you give your tithes and offerings every Sunday. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you belong to such and such a denomination. That you go to the mission field. You... No, no. 
By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love, here it is again, love your neighbor yourself, love one for another. Love one for another. Very important as we're talking about guarding our affections. And there's a lot of misplaced affection. In fact, Solomon in the book of Proverbs gave many illustrations of misplaced affections. And he, in, in Proverbs, the fifth chapter, I believe it is, he talks about the strange woman. Men stay away from her. Don't go near her gate. Her road leads down to hell. Oh, the world says it's okay and do these things. He says, stay away from that. And rejoice in the, the wife of your youth. Uh, you know, keep that fountain pure. Don't give your children to other uh, people. Uh, all these things, he said, guard your affections. Keep them on the Lord. Oh, you have little faith. Don't you realize God can take it? Don't set your heart on riches. They'll destroy you every time. Remember the rich young Balaam in the Old Testament? The prophet? How he was bribed to come and he would be given great treasure if he would prophesy. Well, he never did prophesy because God wouldn't let him prophesy, but he did finally tell the king how to defeat Israel, get them to sin. And he got the women to go over and entice the men to come over and start offering sacrifices on their altar. And God became uh, angry at them and they were judged for it and thousands were killed because of it. And later on when Israel came and destroyed that nation, they also killed Balaam because he had given information to the king as to how they could be destroyed. You know how to destroy Christians? Let them get into a false love affair with something that can destroy them rather than cause them to be what God would have them to be. Achan, when they were taking the city of Jericho, God said, don't take any of the treasure at all. It's to be put into the temple, money for the temple, for the worship of God. It's going to be God, so don't take any of it. But in fact, a lot of it was going to have to be destroyed, but what wasn't destroyed was kept for God. And Achan buried his under his tent. And you know what it cost him? He had a love and affection for money. He probably said, you know, I've fought hard and I've walked around this city now 14 times, one time a day for six days, and the seventh day I walked around seven times, and, and you know, I've gotten in here and I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I, I deserve this. He took him hidden under his and the cost of that one thing was he lost his family. He lost his life. And he lost what he had collected, thinking that that would give him satisfaction. A lot of times, the very thing that we think is going to give us life is the thing that's going to destroy us and our family. If we aren't careful that we do not have the love of money in our heart. Now, the solution again is found in 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter. I want to take the last half of verse 5 where it says, Supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. There's some people who say, well, look how they're prospering. God must be blessing them. Gain is not godliness. Gain is not godliness. Just because people are prospering does not necessarily mean God is blessing them. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, what? Flee these things. Don't get caught up in these things. Flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, patience, meekness, 
Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The solution, he says, is follow after righteousness and do not allow yourself to be caught, caught up with the love of money. I want to tell you something. If we'll follow this principle he just gave us in 1 Timothy 6, we can be the most prosperous, most successful people on earth. Because we don't go seeking after it. Instead, we learn to serve others. There's a businessman in Longwood who is a professing Christian. I don't know that he's genuinely born again or not, but he has learned a principle that I would have got every Christian could learn. If you go to his business place and you don't get anything else, you'll get service. First of all, he'll find out who you are and he'll always call you by your name. And you go in and he will serve you. He will, what can I do to help you? Here, let me give you this. I'm going to, this is what the price is, but here's the price way down here. And if there's any time I can help, call me day or night. I remember when my son passed away and we had a lot of things we needed to get rid of. He said, Pastor, you bring those to my store. I'll see to it that they're sold and whatever I get out of them, I'll give to you. I don't want a thing for it. I just want to help you and try to get it. I mean, here's a man that served. I saw him start in a little store and I saw him move to another little, little bit larger store. And now I've seen him move into another larger store and have to uh, open up practice rooms over in another building. And he just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. Somebody says, boy, he's lucky. No, he's not lucky. He's out following some principles here that always work. He's not worried about what he gets. I said to him, I said, John, you can't do this and make money. He says, all I want to do is serve and I'll let the business take care of the rest. Our missionaries came home and, and bought things through him and said, you know, we're probably saving a third from any place else in the whole United States that we've, we've had opportunities to buy things. People are going to give us big discounts. This is at least a third less. He said, I, Jim said, I could actually buy instruments here, take them over to Spain and sell them and pay for my trip. They're that much less expensive at him. And when, they, when I'd come in the next time, he said, did you get everything you needed? Did you get them overseas? Okay, that's great. He said, if you need anything else, you just let me know and I'll help. He said, I'll see to it that the price is right for you. And you know, the man is giving and giving and giving and giving what it comes back, it comes back, it comes back. You can't outgive God. God is looking for conduits, not reservoirs, when it comes to finances. If he can trust you to become a conduit to be blessing to others, and let me tell you something, we need to hear this because in the days ahead, bless God, I hope it's going to happen that the blessings are going to start flowing. If they do, then we've got to be ready to realize God is not calling us to become reservoirs. He's calling us to become conduits and be wise as serpents to know how and where God would have us to, to bless others. It's very important for us to realize, though, the danger is that we can fall in love with money. And if we do, it'll destroy us. It'll destroy us. May God help us. 